If you don't know what a birth chart is, it is a map of the positions of the planets when a person was born. Every week we also have our featured killer cocktail. This week we're having a ghoul's blood. It is white rum, blue curacao, and pineapple juice. As always, the recipe will be posted on our Instagram at Killer Stargazing, so check it out. That being said, if you like true crime and astrology or you're just curious, grab a drink and let's get into it. All right, so Bethany does not know who our killer is, you know, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Since you've already done the research, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, and today we are covering Ed Gein. Which, okay, I know I've heard that name. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not familiar with anything other than I know I've heard that name. (laughs) Okay, all right, awesome. So I'm actually very... Well, I'm always very curious, but I'm really curious about this chart. Please tell me what's going on here. Okay, all right. Let's look at it here. So we have a Virgo sun, Sagittarius moon, and a Gemini rising. (laughs) (laughs) So since it's been a while since we've gotten to do one with a rising sign, um, let's start there. Yes. Um, so, okay, so the sun spends about 30 days in each sign before moving on to the next. Uh, the moon spends roughly two and a half days in each sign. And the rising or ascendant sign is so-called because it denotes which sign was on the eastern horizon at the exact time of birth. Okay. Yeah. And that changes roughly every couple hours. So it's much more specific to, like, you exactly, and and actually most astrologers, when they're referring to the sign you were born under, they're talking about your rising sign. Yeah, I've always heard that, that mm-hmm. you should always look at your rising sign as the yes. most accurate. Like, when you when you read your horoscope somewhere, um, you know, even though, of course, those are super general. Yeah. But really, like, you should be looking at your rising sign, and... Um, in earlier era, like the ascendant was thought to be more important than the sun sign. Yeah, I've I've actually since we've been you know doing this and looking into astrology more, I've actually really been looking into my rising sign a lot mm-hmm. more. Which is yes. funny because I'm a Taurus sun, and my well, my moon and my rising is in Scorpio. Mm-hmm. And everything that I've read is that Taurus and Scorpio are like opposite. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is funny because it's like I always felt like I've had like a back and forth with everything. Yeah. So it's just really interesting for me to really look at Scorpio. Mm-hmm. I love, 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 love the rising oh, sign. Oh yeah, no, same, same here. Um, yeah, they, they actually like changed like somewhere around the 20th century for whatever reason is when um, they started kind of focusing more on the sun sign. But, um, but the rising, it really is the single most important point in your birth chart. You have to establish that ascendant line in order for everything else to fall into place. So without it, just interpretation of your horoscope is very limited. Hmm. So the rising sign is your social personality, often called the public mask or front door. It's both your outlook on the world and the first impression that you give others. So at first meeting, job interview, party, whatever, like people will perceive you as your rising sign. Yeah. And it also represents your physical body and appearance. So Gemini rising. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, you know, 
We can't even talk about Gemini anything, especially when it's your sun or rising sign without recognizing one basic fact. Two-faced. Two-faced. I mean, come on. <laughs> the most two-faced sign in the entire zodiac, hands down. <laughs> That's why they're represented by the twins. I know. I feel like the worst <laughs> out of all the zodiacs, I feel mm-hmm. like the ones who get the worst like rep is either Scorpio or Gemini. True. True. <laughs> but, well, okay, so <laughs> the shittiest part about them being two-faced is that they're actually fantastic communicators, which really just means they're super good at being two-faced. <laughs> like, just toxic as fuck, okay? <laughs> Spreading rumors, lies about people, talking smack about their friends, but denying it when confronted, making up stories about themselves to gain sympathy or trust from others. Like they well, Actually, they just really love to talk. Yeah. And the scariest part about that is Gemini may not even be aware that they're being two-faced. It just comes so natural. It's yeah. Like, I don't know. That's just how I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got that off my chest. Let's, uh, let's move right along. <laughs> Bethany, what Gemini hurt you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, we can get into that another time. <laughs> Um, okay, so the first impression others receive of Gemini Ascendance is someone in constant motion. It's like your eyes dart from here to there, just very dramatic with your gestures. Your body just doesn't seem to want to sit still. It's kind of very weird. Mm-hmm. There is an underlying restlessness in this personality. Uh, this is usually a symptom of a yearning of some kind for mm. something that always just seems to be out of your reach. <laughs> Like, you need change and variety and just often very discontent with the present moment. Always feeling like there's just something better going on somewhere that you're not a part of. Like, just constant FOMO all day, every day. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Now, the duality that comes with Gemini does run a lot deeper than just the two-faced aspect. They can literally feel opposite emotions at the same exact time. So, like, they can be happy and unhappy all at once, feel satisfied, yet also unsatisfied. And even though I think a lot of people can relate to maybe feeling a different range of emotions all at once, um, in Gemini's case, there's just a more specific reason for this constant discontentment. And it's a fear or feeling of not having lived up to your potential. Like you sense that there's an experience just over the horizon that if you could just get there, then you'd feel truly fulfilled. Yeah. The grass is greener syndrome, big time. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, not to give anything away, but mm-hmm. if you're maybe repressed in any certain way, yes, yes, I think we'll get into that too. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but basically, um. That feeling, they end up just resenting anything or anyone that they feel is keeping them from venturing out to find that next best thing. Okay. All right. Gemini Rising. Okay, so they're very excitable nature. Just very quick to react to any kind of stimulus and very easily upset. Like, very audibly so. If, okay. if you're irritated or worried about something, it's not going to be a secret. Yeah. Anyone with an earshot's probably going to know about it. <laughs> um, and this is partly due to having a lot of childlike qualities in you. Um, as <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that can make it very difficult to stay grounded and have any sense of real direction in your life. 
Uh, so without proper development, these childlike qualities in you can turn into a very demanding kind of tantrum-y nature as you get older. Okay. That being said, like I mentioned a little bit ago, they actually are very good communicators. Mercury rules Gemini, and Mercury is the planet of communication, so they do have a way with words. And never at a loss for words, that's for sure. <laughs> they do tend to have a pretty high intellect, uh, very acute perceptions, witty and clever, uh, very quick on the draw with the comebacks, for sure. Like, I personally wouldn't want to debate with one, because you're not getting the last word in. Yeah. Um, there is also kind of like a coolness factor, I guess, that comes with Gemini Ascendants. Uh, they tend to be pretty social and appear to have like a charming warmth about them. But theirs is a mental rather than emotional outlook. Yeah. So they deal with feelings and relationships exactly the same as they do with facts and figures, like as, as things that can be analyzed. Yeah. Um, their loyalty is to principles and ideals rather than to people. And there's also a tendency to be very egotistical because at the end of the day, you think you're better than everyone else. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and that's funny that you say that because as we get into his story, I feel like that aspect of thinking you're better mm -hmm. is from an outside influence that was yeah, maybe kind okay. of impressed upon him as opposed to it being something that maybe was came natural. natural exactly okay. yeah interesting mm -hmm. um so i do want to touch on an aspect here that that kind of stuck out to me so we have uh pluto applying conjunction to the ascendant so you are uh, intense and transformative and it shows on you physically so the, your demeanor is very polarizing some people are attracted to you by your inner strength and resolve. Others are just straight up terrified by what they perceive. Yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> um, you experience the heights and depths like emotionally and not much in between. And because you have a need to be in control of your life, you distrust your own emotions when they leave you vulnerable to anyone. So. Okay. Yeah, events in your life keep giving you the opportunity to exercise control, like necessary control, which yeah. is self-control, um, and that is what is truly lacking and really needed here. Yeah. Yep. Uh, physically speaking, Gemini ascendants tend to have like small, sharp features, a friendly smile, graceful arms and hands, which is probably why they, you know, their hands like gesticulate so much. Um, and they tend to hold on to their youthful looks well into age. Okay. So, some Gemini Rising celebs. Oh, yay! We have Rihanna, Kristen Stewart, uh, Amy Winehouse, Lady Gaga, Drew Barrymore, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Sandra Bullock. <gasps> Michelle Pfeiffer! Yeah, Pfeiffer! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, moving on to the sun, your ego structure. We have a Virgo sun. So, all right, let's see. I feel like he's going <laughs> to... Look, I don't know much about Virgo, but the mm -hmm. little that I do know, I feel like he's going to be yeah. very Virgo. <laughs> so when we're talking stereotypes, right? Nitpicky, perfectionist, clean freak, very organized. Like, they're sort of your classic down-to-earth, you know, sign. No, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well, very practical and helpful, but sometimes, oh, yeah. like, almost too much so, like... 
Like they're the ones who are going to remind you that, oh, your car tires are looking a little bald or, oh, is that some like dust building up behind your TV? Yeah. Like, you know, you want the world to be perfect or your idea of perfect. So you expect perfection, especially from yourself. Yeah. So, so critical and seemingly unemotional that others may dislike you or at least find you very boring. Dude, I have to say the person that influences Mm -hmm. Ed Gein, as we will get into, this sounds like this person. Really? So that that will probably come into play. Yeah. Because I do have, I think there is, there is some stuff in here, um, you know, with, with influency stuff, lots of influency stuff that we will get into. Oh, this is so weird. You'll, you'll, you'll get it once I start to (laughs) read you the story. Um, so Virgos can also arouse anger and violence in others because of their tendency to, to interfere or their very critical tongues and basically unemotional attitudes. Like, so it can be kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. So Virgo is also ruled by Mercury, and that inclines both Virgo and Gemini toward constant mental activity. So while the Gemini nervous energy tends to be directed primarily toward stimulation, with Virgo, it's more of a, a never-ending drive to accomplish and perfect. Mm-hmm. So you're very good at portraying yourself as calm, but internally it's like drama central. Yeah. So you have this like nervous, restless intensity inside. Like to the point where just sitting and thinking is more exhausting to you than physically moving around and keeping yourself busy. <laughs> wow. So like your idea of taking yeah. it easy would seem like hard work to other people. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah, so Virgos tend to have, um, well, they tend to run into difficulty due to complicating everything. Yeah. Um, No problem is ever simple for Virgo. Like, talk about making mountains out of molehills. That's one of their specialties. (laughs) And their emotional life is a constant striving to bring order. And while they do have a great capacity for love... Love alone is not enough for them to be happy. Like, they need more than a mate, a home, children, friends. You need to justify your life almost the same way, like, a bookkeeper keeps a ledger. Like, always ready to give a reckoning on whether there's a profit or loss. Yeah. Just a very analytical way of thinking. Okay. You tend to have a difficulty getting in touch with your deeper feelings Because your mechanism of denial is so firmly set in place. Like, don't even bother asking a Virgo, like, oh, are you okay? Because even if they're not, they're not going to tell you. Yeah. (laughs) Especially a Virgo man. Okay. Okay? He is going to give an impression of being completely in control of his emotions, but that is a front. (laughs) Emotionality actually upsets him. Which causes a real struggle in the relationship department because Virgo man is naturally drawn to very enthusiastic, vivacious women. So he is both attracted to and disturbed by displays of emotion in a relationship. Wow. (laughs) So obviously his love life does not tend to run as smoothly as he would like. Uh, He can be very demanding, very fault-finding, and that is how he shows he actually cares, by being demanding and pointing out your faults. Because, you know, if he didn't care... He wouldn't bother to do that. Again, this sounds like... Fucking psychopath. <laughs> I know. Well, it's funny because, again, this sounds like the person that, like, deeply influenced him. Like, mm. I cannot mm. wait to tell okay. you this story. Um, 
So, not romantic, like, at all. Yeah. At, at least not in the cinematic tradition of, like, moonlight and roses. Like, you'll never look down from your balcony and find your Virgo man spontaneously serenading you from the courtyard. <laughs> <laughs> now, he wishes he was like that, actually. Like, oh, Virgo okay. man's pretty aware that he is lacking in that department and kind of wishes he could change that. Like, total yeah. wannabe Don Juan. Just doesn't get there. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, there is a staying power and loyalty and a kind of sensuality that can improve over time. Like if you're willing to put in the work and be patient, who knows? He might just surprise you. Probably not. You know, know. what's funny is that I dated two Virgos. Okay. Both of them though, pretty, I mean, like I've had some pretty romantic gestures or attempted romantic gestures. Like, yeah. Like, all of a sudden, like, uh, showing up at your house, like, oh, like, look outside. And, yeah, and, Like, yeah. that literally that happened. Awesome. Yeah. So maybe, like, a nice, like, water rising sign or something. Or like, their Venus was not in Virgo. Definitely Venus was not in Virgo. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um. So the sun is in his fourth house, which is the house for emotions in the past. It's how we were nurtured. Childhood experiences, specifically with the mother, but, oh. but pretty much, but pretty much all things family and home. Um, it's actually the most private or darkest of all the houses. Uh-huh. Just a lot of hidden stuff can be in the fourth house. Okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So with this particular placement of Virgo son in the fourth house, his mother might have been kind of a workaholic who was very strict about <gasps> having certain rules around the house. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, if that wasn't the case, like one way or another, great anxiety was definitely caused by the mother. Yeah. Like she was probably not very emotionally open to her children. Correct. Um, she might have, um, she might've been a very critical person who was just very hard to please. Correct. (laughs) Uh, all the above. (laughs) The family environment seems to be focused on being perfect. And this probably caused a lot of stress for you know, anyone in that family. Yeah. Um, there might've even been like a certain chronic illness that a member of the family suffered from. Yes. Mm. Well, whatever it is, something happened to make him feel some kind of way about his past. Yeah. Um, so uh, since privacy is so important to him, I I don't know if we'll really find out the specifics, but it sounds like we're, sounds like we're going to get some excited about that. Um, (laughs) the family past is actually not a subject that they avoid thinking about. Like even when it wasn't the greatest, they like to analyze their past and their mother's actions mm-hmm. since they always try to be logical when it comes to their emotions, just always trying to understand what it is they're feeling. And when they can't understand it, it just really causes them a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Um, so we have an opposition between the sun and Saturn, Saturn, which represents like restrictions and limitations So you definitely faced a fair number of challenges in your life, especially the first half of your life, um, in which your attempts to express yourself and what you wanted may have been discouraged. Okay. Um, There can be a persistent feeling that, like, you don't get what you want and compared to, like, everyone else. Yeah. And almost feeling, like, unlucky and... um, you know, because of that, attempts to control your environment and sometimes people can can be pretty frequent. Wow. So that's kind of the lowdown we have on Mr. Virgo's son. Yeah. And, um, all right, some famous Virgo sons. Yay! Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Keanu Reeves. Love him. I do, too. Cameron Diaz. Macaulay Culkin. Michael Jackson. Richard Gere. 
Stephen King and Mother Teresa. Oh, so yeah, there we go. What a wide range. <laughs> it is a wide range. Uh, okay, lastly, we have the moon, the unconscious force, instinctive reactions, and his moon is in Sagittarius. So more than anything, lunar Sagittarians very much have a need for personal freedom and space. Like they don't like feeling caged in or cooped up. And they, they have a need for activity, whether that be like just out meeting new people or traveling. Like it's it's important to their sense of well-being. Okay. Um, they are a little forgetful and sometimes considered a little, little irresponsible. But I don't know, yeah. Virgo something might cancel that out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, may like to throw himself into the unknown and into adventure and may take great risks in throwing himself into unknown said adventure, like somewhat of a rebellious nature. Okay. Unable to stay in one place, always just ready to risk everything to achieve his goal. Not generally a natural leader, more, more likely just like an employee or worker, but by choice and usually tends to be a pretty good worker. Yeah. Um, you excel in any field where intelligence and communication skills are helpful. So, like, we see here that in all the big three, we have, like, a real focus on communication. Yeah, yeah, I noticed so, that. Yeah, it really seems like that is one of his stronger traits. Like, you know, you have Mercury ruling his sun and rising sign, and even his moon having an emphasis on an intelligence and, and communication skills. So I would just be very surprised if, like, you told me he was, like, a complete idiot or a recluse who did never talk to anybody. Well... But that would just that would just be a very surprising thing to yeah. hear due to just particular placements. But if, again, like you know, there's more that comes into play than just what yeah. I mean, on. there is the how you are, and then mm-hmm. there's also your the outside, outside forces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we do have an opposition between the moon and ascendant, which indicates he was. Very unhappily influenced by the family or childhood. Oh! Probably felt rather insecure about new beginnings, new situations. Always looking for more love, appreciation, and positive feedback that he just felt like he never got enough of as a child. (laughs) Very susceptible to being, like, a bit unsettled and moody. However, again, he's usually highly intelligent, observant, and is very often misunderstood. Like, more often than not, just, like, kind of projecting the wrong image. Oh, I feel like that, I feel like Mm -hmm. that pretty much matches up. Yeah. Um, he, okay, he has the moon square his Saturn, so that indicates he's probably pretty hard on himself, and that that adds to his feeling of being very lonely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would say, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, the moon, again, and, and again, like, so... Describing just the moon in Sagittarius, obviously, you know, might not um, describe him to a T, but when we get into a lot of these aspects and get more specific, I think it gets, it gets, you know, more specific to him. Absolutely. So, So the moon is in hard aspect is Pluto. Pluto, which symbolizes regeneration, transformation, rebirth. So you get very easily emotionally locked up so much so that it becomes difficult to alter any pattern in your life once it's begun. Okay. You can suffer a lot by just cutting yourself off from others. You may end a relationship that you desperately want if you feel the other person may reject you or abandon you sometime in the future. Uh, You demand loyalty from others and just it's, it's very unrealistic because it's something you are incapable of or unwilling to give 
you know, others yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's so, just like total, um, you need to be perfect. Yeah, you need to be loyal to me. Don't Give look me at everything. Don't look at me. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, you could form compulsive attachments where you hang on to a relationship like long after the person is checked out emotionally or even physically left you. <laughs> <laughs> In either of these cases, clearly you have to come to terms with the issue of power and control. Like, so afraid of not being in control is the bottom line here. Just needs to achieve self-control, understand your own emotions, and, you know, your life will become easier. Nice. Uh, So, again, here with the moon opposition his Pluto, we really need to explore this relationship with his mother. Yes, 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 Clearly, it had a much deeper effect on him than really anything else in this entire chart. 1,000%. Emotional standoffs, possibly addictive, self-defeating behavior. Like, there is a definite need to just really release himself of old emotional habits that stem from his childhood. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So there we have it for his chart. And let's just finish off with some famous lunar Sagittarius. Yay. Again, there's always so many to choose from. I really wish, like, I could just sit here and name all of them. (laughs) But I can't. Maybe we'll do a a celebrity special one day. Yeah, that would be fun. All right, we have Oprah Winfrey, Jennifer Aniston, Adele, Albert Einstein, Van Gogh, Mozart, Beethoven, and Picasso. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Ted Bundy was a Sag son, of course, but also Sag Moon. Mm. Uh, Vince Vaughn and Jensen Ackles have oh. a shout out, both our guys. Yes. <laughs> and once again, we have Charlie Sheen, Stephen King, and Richard Gere. Nice. Um, the... Picasso thing, the artist. Yeah. I uh, definitely feel like there's a, in the darkest sense, a bit of artistry. Yeah. With him. And we'll get into it. Well, let's do it. Let's, let's, uh, let's hear what you got. Is that all we got? <laughs> yep. All right. Okay. So before I get into this story, into his story and the crimes committed, I thought you in particular, Bethany, would mm-hmm. find this very interesting because you are a big horror movie buff. I am. So, Ed Gein's story was what inspired the book and also later the Alfred Hitchcock movie, which is one of my personal favorites, Psycho. Really? It's, it's also been very, very loosely adapted into a lot of other films like Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, and The Devil's Rejects. Oh, wow. He is the inspiration for the fictional serial killers such as, obviously, Norman Bates, Mm -hmm. Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs, and Dr. Oliver Threadson in American Horror Story Asylum. Okay, so that is quite a range of different killers. And And he is the inspiration. inspired all of them. All of them. Wow. Like I said, loosely adapted sure. for those, but I feel like the most accurate is Norman Bates. Okay. 100%. With the mother? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I did. I read a bunch of articles. I was on Wikipedia, Murderpedia. I watched a documentary. Last podcast on the left did a really great series on him. And as always, story contains graphic content, so you have been warned. <laughs> yeah. If you don't like graphic content, why are you listening? (laughs) (laughs) So, Ed Gein was born Edward Theodore Gein, August 27th, 1906, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He was also later known as the Butcher of Plainfield, the Plainfield Ghoul, (laughs) Ghoul's Blood, and the Grandfather of Gore. 
He was born to parents George Philip Gein and Augusta Wilhelmine Gein. And he also had an older brother, Henry George Gein. So let's talk about his dad, George, first. George lost his entire family to a flash flood when he was three. Mm. He moved in with his grandparents, and it just seems like he had a really sad and lonely life. Nobody really paid much attention to him or made him feel important at all. So after elementary school, he held a bunch of different jobs because he was born in 1873, so kids just worked. They did, they did. Throughout the years, he became a big old alcoholic. Mm. He met his future wife when he was young, and they married in the year 1900 when he was like 26, 27. So about his wife. Let's hear about mother. Ed Gein's mother, Augusta. (laughs) She actually came from a really large family, but she was raised pretty much the same way she turned out. Stern, domineering, and inflexible. Her father was abusive and would beat the children quite often for misbehaving. And they were also super religious. So when she met George, maybe she saw someone that she could control, someone for love. I'm not sure. But they actually hit it off right away. But it didn't last long. Yeah. She was never described as pretty. Um, She was described as a handsome woman. (laughs) Wait. Yeah. Wow. And Augusta hated her husband. She didn't drink. And like I said, and like I said, she was very religious and her husband ended up being an alcoholic that couldn't keep a job. Mm. He worked as a tanner, which I had to look up. And it is the process of treating skins and hides of animals to produce leather. Okay. Definitely not. What Tanning. I thought when I heard a tanner. Yeah. I'm like, wait, you can get paid for that? No. <laughs> he also worked as a carpenter and an insurance salesman. He would come home drunk, she would berate him, and he would not beat her, but it was described that he would flail at her with open hands. Mm. I'm not saying that it's okay, obviously, never hit your partner, but he was, like, a tall, skinny, drunk guy, and she was a big woman, like... She was a big, handsome woman. She was a big, handsome woman. I feel, like, I feel like she could have taken him in a fight, you know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe because of her religious background, she felt she had to be subservient and just take it, but Mm -hmm. I feel like she could have just, like... Could have taken him. One, one, and he's out. (laughs) So, because Augusta hated George and, you know, again, because she was insanely religious, she only looked at sex as a way to make children. She said it was something not to be enjoyed. Oh, my God. That's horrible. I know. So, the thought of actually having sex with her own husband repulsed her. I think she just needed to get her back blown out, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Change your perspective, honey. (laughs) But she wanted a child, so they had their first son, Henry. And while Augusta did love him, she felt like something was missing. She really wanted a daughter. She felt like that would allow her to have the ability to bond with her child, which is not really something that she had with Henry. It's almost like she wanted, like, another, like, like a friend, a girl, like, to have around the house. Yeah, I guess. So I would guess because of her upbringing that was very strict and cold that she never really learned how to love anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyways, once again, she held back the urge to vomit and had sex with her husband. (laughs) She prayed every night 
as hard as she could for a baby girl. And when her second son, Ed Gein, was born, she was mm, devastated. I can't believe it didn't work. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> instead of staying in that place, though, she picked herself back up and vowed that this little boy would not turn out to be a, quote, sweating, foul-mouthed creature like the rest of the men in this world. I don't know why she thought it was too late for poor Henry. <laughs> yeah, like, was this like a couple years apart? Or? Yeah, I think they were like five or six years apart. <laughs> too late. Yeah, too late. she wanted Eddie to be different, and mm. he was. Yeah. <laughs> so even though Edgine thought of his mother as this woman who could do no wrong, he said his first memory ever was of him as a toddler playing at the top of a staircase, and he fell. Mm -hmm. And as he was falling, he felt his mother grab him hard, and she just started screaming at him. And he didn't know why she was screaming. He just knew that he did something bad, that he did something bad, and that his mother saved him. So <laughs> another time, this is Wait, also... So she was screaming, um, was she screaming because she was so scared that she thought he got hurt? Maybe. Or, I mean, this, this is his perception. This is his perception. Was, so. Like, hmm. at, as a mother, I wouldn't do that, but right. I, you, you do get very afraid. So, like, maybe she was yelling at him, like, don't be playing at the stairs. Like, look what, you know, yeah. can happen. Yeah, yeah, But also, she's a very cold woman. Sure. And I wouldn't be grabbing my toddler and screaming at him in the face. Sure. Also, where the fuck was George? Hmm. Probably yeah. drunk somewhere. Without drinking at the bar. <laughs> so this other story is really sad, too. Um, his mother gave him money to go, like, run an errand and get bread or something. Mm -hmm. And somehow along the way, like, it wasn't very far, but somehow along the way he lost the money. And he comes home. He's obviously upset and crying. And instead of, I don't know, consoling him, she just... Tells him very quietly, you dreadful child, only a mother could love you. Oh, jeez. So fucking sad. That's harsh. I know. That's really harsh. So, to support the family since George couldn't keep a job, in 1910, Augusta bought and ran a grocery store. Nice little feminist moment mixed in there. Yeah, yeah. So, Ed had another childhood memory that stuck out to him, and it was around this time. There was a wooden building behind the store that Ed was forbidden to enter. And he did. He you went. You can't tell a kid this is a forbidden place. You never yes. get to go in there without that kid. Being exactly. Like, I'm going in. Well, he went and there was like maybe like a crack in the door because it was windowless. So mm. he had to have seen. So he either opened it or there yeah. were, it was like left partially open. Okay. He witnessed his mother slaughter a pig that was hanging by its hind legs. Mm. And he said from that moment on, he would never forget the sight of the split open pig with a pile of guts and blood hanging below. Oh. So gross. Like never forget it in like a bad way. I, I don't know. He just said he, like, that image was burned in his memory. I, yeah, I, I bet. Whew. Which is funny because of how terrible she was. She was at least trying to, like, protect him from that. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, Weird. a couple years later, 1913, Augusta moves the family to a farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin, which is where he commits his crimes. Mm. So, to protect Ed from the hussies. Of course. Well, of course. Um, besides going to school, Ed never left the farm. 
Ed was also never allowed to have any friends. He would actually be punished for trying to make friends. Or, if he did, Augusta would always find something wrong with the other kid's family. And a lot of that was calling uh, the kid's mother's harlots. Every problem was due to the harlots and the hussies. Tempting <laughs> men. And she wasn't going to let her little Eddie fall into that trap. Mm, what a protective soul. I don't know. Mm. So, besides not having any friends, forget about girls. Oh, yeah. She said they were, quote, foul creatures that were evil and would only do harm to her boys. She felt that way about all women, except so, for herself. So, yeah. So she did this with both her boys? Yes, but it was mainly focused on Ed. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Neither of them, like, she would preach the Bible to them. and sure. so It was to both of them. She just always, like, Ed was her little special project. And the other, you know. Henry. The Well, yeah, and the other mothers I was thinking that, you know, were harlots. She was talking about probably because they weren't as maybe, like, religious obsessive as her. So I'm she, assuming because this is, like, 1910, 1913. Yeah, like definitely a different time. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, she would give daily Bible lessons, and she had a very strict set of rules. According to Ed, his mother was just pure goodness. And his So he fa- loved it while this was going on. He was, he was okay with it. Mama's boy through and through, because while she was strict and everything like that, he was obviously the favorite. She yeah. paid way special attention to him and... Like I said, special project. Hmm. So his father, that he only heard this from his mother, was just a worthless, lazy alcoholic. So in school, Ed was teased for having a skin growth under his eye. And then teased even further because he cried a lot. And kids are assholes and they made fun of him because they said he cried like a girl. Well, he was blubbered. a boy. Yeah. And I mean. they said he blubbered. Oh, his is it like a mole or like is there a pe- look? Like, I'll like show a you skin a pic- tag. Like I honestly don't. Need, it's just like one eye is a little lower than the other. It's really nothing that bad. But kids are assholes. Kids are assholes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you can't even really see it, like in that picture. No. I mean, like, like elephant man guy, like, kind of came to my head. I mean, yeah. I knew it wasn't that bad, but like, no, he um, looks like a like I didn't even yeah. know that he had a skin growth or anything until I until read I this. I was out, like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> his teachers and his classmates would also comment on his strange mannerisms. He would just laugh at random moments out of nowhere, mm. almost like he was just kind of laughing at his own jokes or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Also, I wanted to say this because this movie was not inspired by Ed Gein. I just keep getting Waterboy vibes. Oh, my God. The girls <laughs> are the devil. And yes. Lacks the social skills. And, and she was a handsome woman. She was a handsome woman. <laughs> so on April 1st, 1940, so we're skipping way ahead. Ed's father, George, died of heart failure caused by his alcoholism at the age of 66. So Henry and Ed started doing odd jobs around the town to help cover the living expenses. And people around town just thought of them as really reliable and honest. They both worked as handymen. But a lot of the time, Ed actually babysat for neighbors. 
And he really liked it because he seemed to relate more to kids than adults. Mm. Like we said, or like you said about Mm -hmm. the childlike behavior. And even being like good, like not necessarily leaders, but just very good workers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. So around that time, Henry, who let's remember he is in his 40s at this time. Started 40 year old virgin, probably (laughs) started dating a divorced mother of two and was planning on moving in with her. Mm. And he was really worried about Ed and his attachment to their mother. He would talk bad about her around Ed, and Ed would always act shocked and just really hurt when he did this. So they had two completely different perspectives of their mother. Again, like I said, Ed was the special little project. He had this weird attachment. And Hmm. then that first memory that she saved him. Yeah. Like, yeah. So on May 16th, 1944, Henry and Ed were burning away marsh vegetation on the property. The fire got out of control, and that caught the attention of the local fire department. At the end of the day, when the fire was out, the firefighters were gone. Ed reports his brother Henry missing. A search party then formed with lanterns and flashlights, and they found Henry's body lying face down. They found out that he had been dead for quite some time, and the cause of death appeared to be heart failure since he had not been burned or injured in any other way. Later on, though, it was reported that Henry had bruises on his head. Hmm. The police just dismissed the possibility of any foul play, and the official cause of death was listed as asphyxiation. I feel like police were just very lazy back in the olden times. This wasn't even that olden. You know, it was the 1940s. This was our grandparents. That's true. That's true. But still, that's that's, that's disappointing. Technology (laughs) and training has come along with it. (laughs) Yes. There was no official investigation conducted, so no autopsy was done. Mm -hmm. While it was never proven, later on it was said that it was, quote, possible and likely that Henry's death was caused by Ed in, like, a Cain and Abel type situation. yes. So, it's just Ed and Augusta now. All right. Everything you wanted. Mm -hmm. Mommy and me. (laughs) Till the end. Yeah. That was short-lived. Okay. Shortly after Henry's death, Augusta had a paralyzing stroke. Ed completely devoted himself to taking care of her. So where we get into some more Norman Batesy. Seriously, that's where I got the Norman Bates vibes right here. (laughs) During this time, Ed later talked about a time when he and his mother visited a man named Smith to buy some straw. Augusta saw Smith beating a dog. Mm. I know. A woman came out of the house and yelled at him to stop, but Smith, unfortunately, beat the dog to death. Augusta was really upset by the situation, but she wasn't upset about him beating the dog to death. She was upset about the woman that was there. Oh, my God. Ed said that Augusta told him that the woman was not married to him and called her Smith's harlot. (laughs) And soon after that incident, she had a second stroke and her health just went downhill. And then on December 29th, 1945, Augusta passed away at 67 years old. Ed was absolutely devastated. Mm -hmm. And from the words of Harold Schechter, who wrote the book Deviant about Ed Gein, he, quote, lost his only friend and one true love, and he was absolutely alone in the world. Oh, my God. Side note, I was like 13 or 14. Really? The name always sounded familiar, but at some point, I I just lost the book. I totally forgot about it. Mm -hmm. When I went to look this up and I looked up the cover... It like, like I read that. <laughs> yes, just, I instantly remembered it. Just like all these memories flooded back. Oh, it was yeah. insane. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that existed. Oh my god. 
So now he's all alone here. What's he going to do? Mm. He held on to the farm and he brought in money with odd jobs like he was doing before. But he really just couldn't deal with the fact that his mother was gone. He boarded up all the rooms that his mother used. The upstairs, the downstairs parlor, and the living room. And he was not a clean person. And the rest of the house became disgusting. Let me show you a picture oh of his God. disgusting ass house. What the fuck? He lived there? Yes, he lived there. That's why when you were saying, like, Virgo, like, everything needs to be kept clean, uh, I was like, not him. Not him at all. Not him. Dude, that that part like, did not match up. <laughs> that just looks like, I don't know, like, an abandoned, gross place. Just yes. gross. Yes. Mm -hmm. His mother wasn't clean either? Like, did she No, not... she was because the mom's rooms stayed pristine. He boarded them up. So if you're going to make your kid a crazy mama's boy, at <laughs> least fucking teach him how to clean. Right? But I don't know <laughs> if that went against her religious... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true, because the men shouldn't clean, right? It's a yeah. It's woman's job. So he also started reading pulp magazines and adventure stories. <laughs> Maybe, like you said, with his want for adventure, he never got that. Ever. Uh, yeah. He never had relationships. He had to have wanted something. Yeah. yeah. So his favorite types of these stories, though, would involve cannibals or Nazis. Oh. Those were favorites. Mm. So that's a bit odd and also kind of sad, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> He's completely alone. He never left home, never dated a woman, and he possibly, but probably killed the only person who could have, like, maybe helped him yeah. after his mother died. But... I don't know. He's still a piece of shit, so let's get yes. into why. <laughs> so, Edging did not kill as many people as other killers that we've covered. He killed two people. Okay. But I think what's interesting is... This is this counting his brother? Or no? No, we're not it was never proven. Okay, and he never admitted to that. Yeah. Mm -mm. Okay. Not that I saw. I think what's interesting, though, is that his story is so fucked up that it spawned all these books, movies, and yeah. fictional serial killers. Mm -hmm. So, just about nine years after Augusta died, Ed claimed his first victim. 51-year-old Mary Hogan worked at a tavern in Wisconsin that Ed went to often. On December 8, 1954, he waited until all the other customers had gone. He went into the now-closed bar and, without saying a word, shot her with a 32 caliber pistol in the head. He dragged her body to a sled and then dragged it on the sled all the way to his house. However, because a body was never found, she was only reported as missing. Hmm. Almost three years later, on November 16th, 1957, Bernice Warden, who owned a hardware store in Plainview, where Ed lived, disappeared. There were very few customers, but that really wasn't anything out of the ordinary because it was deer hunting season. Oh. Remember, this is a very small town. There's only, yeah. like, there's only like 800 people. Oh, wow. Bernice was 58 years old, and her son was a sheriff, <laughs> and came into the store around 5 p.m. and saw the cash register open and bloodstains on the floor. Frank told investigators that Ed Gein had been in the store the evening of her disappearance and that he said he would return the next morning for a gallon of antifreeze. When there was a sales slip that was found for a gallon of antifreeze that was written by Bernice Warden the morning she disappeared, they went to go find Ed. Mm -hmm. He was arrested that evening at a grocery store and his property was searched. Mm -hmm. What they find on the property? But what did they find? Mm -hmm. It's beyond disturbing. Oh, God. <clears throat> I have a list. All right. <laughs> they found Bernice Warden's body, decapitated in a shed, 
hung upside down mm. by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. Her torso was, quote, dressed out like a deer, and she had been shot with a 22 caliber rifle, and mutilations were made after her death. So he mm. shot her before he, it's like he tortured her. Okay. But, sound familiar? The, the pig. pig. <laughs> the pig. But wait, that's not it. <laughs> wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Police also found whole human bones and fragments, a trash can that was made out of human skin. What? Human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some that had the tops sewn off, Bowls made from human skulls. A corset made from a female torso, skinned from shoulders to waist. Leggings made from human leg skin. Leggings before they were cool. He he made them. (laughs) Masks made from the skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag. Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack, her heart in a plastic bag in front of Ed Gein's potbelly stove, nine vulvas in a shoebox. Whoa. A young girl's dress and, quote, the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. A belt made from female human nipples. Four noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, and fingernails from female fingers. So we're talking like Psycho Picasso shit right exactly. here. Exactly. So I was like, mm, oh I my guess God. he's got some artistry. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But wait, I thought you said there's only two people he killed. So let me get into that. (laughs) Okay. So everything was photographed at the state crime lab, and then it was just disposed of, obviously. Mm -hmm. I do have a picture of that. Some some stuff they found. Oh, my God. Yes, apparently. Hand gloves. Gloves made from real hands. Hand gloves. Literal, literal <laughs> hand gloves. And here's Ed Gein's nipple belt. <gasps> I know. It's oh so gross. God. I don't think we can post that on our I'm, Instagram. No, 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 no. I'm not If y'all want to see it, you can Google it. But oh my. Here's also God. the lampshade. <gasps> made from human faces. This is monstrous. No wonder so many horror movies were like based off. That is just insane. That is. How do you even think of that? I don't know. So, between the years of 1947 and 1952, Ed had as many as 40 nighttime visits to about three different graveyards. He would exhume recently buried bodies while he was in what he called a daze-like state. According to Ed, during about 30 of those visits, he would come out of the daze while he was still in the cemetery, and he left the grave in good order and just went back home with nothing. On the other occasions, he would dig up the graves of recently buried middle-aged women that he thought resembled his mother, mm. took the bodies home, tanned their skins, and made his 
furniture, belts, all that shit. Oh, God. Police were actually able to corroborate his story by going to the nine grave sites that Ed described. He mentioned how one would be empty, but there would be a crowbar in place of a body. There was. A couple of them would just be empty. And another he wasn't able to open and lost his pry bar. And most of the body was gone from the third grave. But Ed did bring back rings and some body parts. Very soon after his mother Augusta's death, Ed began to create a woman suit. I was wondering if this was going to be part of it. So that he could become his mother to literally crawl into her skin. Again, with the psycho, Norman Bates. He also admitted to the shooting of Mary Hogan during the interrogation, but then later denied having any memory of her death. Then there was a 16-year-old whose parents were friends with Gein and said that he kept shrunken heads in his house. And Ed said that they were relics from the Philippines that were sent by a cousin who had served in World War II. However, police discovered those shrunken heads were facial skins that had been carefully peeled from corpses and used by Ed as masks. He was also a suspect in several unsolved cases in Wisconsin, but he was not convicted of any of these. So during the trial, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, and he was also diagnosed with schizophrenia and Mm. was found mentally incompetent, so he was unfit for trial. Mm -hmm. He was sent to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is a maximum security facility, and then later was transferred to the Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. So, then in 1968, it was determined that Gein was, quote, mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. So, there was a trial. Okay. November 7th, 1968, and it lasted one week. A psychiatrist that testified said that Gein told him that while he was examining a gun in Warden's store, the gun went off and killed her. And Gein himself testified that after trying to load a bullet into the rifle, it discharged. He said he didn't aim it at her. He just didn't remember anything else that happened that morning. So it could be that it was an accident and that he just felt like he needed to cover it up. Sure. (laughs) But that doesn't explain Mary Hogan, (laughs) why you just walked in and shot her. So the trial was held without a jury and he was found guilty. There was a second trial that dealt with his sanity after testimony by doctors. They had ruled him not guilty by reason of insanity. So he ended up committed back to the mental hospital and he spent the rest of his life there. So he was only tried for one murder, Mrs. Warden, even though he admitted to killing Mary Hogan. Yeah. I don't know why, but maybe it was the insanity thing, but he was only tried for the one murder. Ed Gein died at the Mendota Mental Health Institute due to respiratory failure secondary to lung cancer on July 26, 1984, at the age of 77. So it really wasn't that long ago. No. So I feel like there's always weird obsessions with serial killers and their stuff, which Mm -hmm. I get the interesting aspect of it. I love learning about this stuff. I would never personally pay money to own something that a fucked up murderer had. Oh, fuck no. No. Like, mm-mm. So, for instance, his 1949 Ford sedan that he used to haul all the bodies of his victims and the weird body parts or whatever mm-hmm, he took mm-hmm. from graves was sold at a public auction for 760 bucks, which is the equivalent oh. okay. of about $6,893 today. 
And it was sold to a carnival sideshow operator, and he charged admission for carnival goers okay. to see it. Uh, okay, like that's that I can see that if it was like just some like weird. I want it. I just want that. I for feel my like house, though, you know, that's pretty, still pretty it, creepy. It is, but he looked at it as like a business, business opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. People would also go to his gravestone and chip off pieces to keep as souvenirs. Up until the actual stone itself was stolen in 2000. It was found in 2001 near Seattle, and then it was just placed in storage at the Washera County Sheriff's Department. And the gravesite's now unmarked, but people still know where it is, and he's buried with his parents and brothers in the cemetery. Here is a picture of the gravestone. So it made its way from Wisconsin to Seattle, huh? Yeah, and so you can see where like the wow. chip people took like chipped pieces to keep. They wrote Someone six, wrote six six six. six. Yeah. Wow. And then it was just straight up stolen. I also wanted to show you uh, Augusta. Oh, mother, mother. Wow. This was Mary Hogan, sweet older lady, oh. and Bernice Warden. How can you even do anything to a sweet old lady like that? I know. And that is the story of Super Creepy, Ed Gein. Oh my god, super creepy for sure. And like, I will never look at any of those movies the same. Like, I'm already playing all of them back in my mind right now, going, oh my god. So (laughs) I wasn't I wasn't super sure what they meant by House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely I see the I see Devil's Chainsaw. I see um, Devil's Rejects when they made them yes. the mask out of the dude's face. Yes, I see that. Of course, Psycho. Um, Psycho, I feel like was almost yeah. almost specifically written about Ed Gein. Absolutely, like, but instead they didn't want to do like body part like masks and such. So they just made it like um, he just kept his mom's corpse in that movie. Yeah, yeah, and he wanted to be her that whole mm-hmm. thing. So I mean, yeah. Ooh. yeah. Still very disturbing, and um, wow, I can't believe I've never heard this story. <laughs> no, so I feel like it did match up mm-hmm. for a lot of it, but I feel like a lot of it was repressed. Like yes. his, so you said that he had the need for adventure, and when you said that, I was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. He like never really socialized, but then. He did. He was never allowed to have friends. When she died, he had friends, and he would read those, like, adventure novels. And, like, look at the stories he could come up with when he was talking about, oh, these shrunken heads yeah. from my cousin and blah. I didn't even think like, about that. Like, he had, he had a thoughts and imagination yeah. about, like, you know, other parts of the world for sure. So like, I guess it did match up a lot better than I initially said. Yeah. I think just because I was so focused on... The mother, which that's insane that it was like yeah. specific in his chart oh about the God. mother. It's so popular. Like, I'd almost be interested in looking at her birth chart. I know. Jesus. That's why I was saying like everything about like being stern and controlling and yeah. judgmental. It's what's like, that's crazy her. is how much of her just bled over into yes. his chart. It's insane. Wow. But yeah, I mean, that's all I have. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I don't think there's anything else I can add to this. <laughs> I, I think we have it covered. I think that we should bring the nipple belt back. I let's let's do it. The nipple belt. <laughs> Please rate, review, and subscribe. Send us your stories, true crime, spooky or otherwise, of something that happened to you or something in your area to killerstargazing at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Killer Stargazing. 
For pictures from the stories we tell, killer cocktail recipes, and more, you can find me on there at Mal underscore Evelyn underscore. And where can they find you, Bethany? You can find me at Blame My Pisces Moon. Until next time, bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>